0: Asset Arrest, your global agent for accessing the property you can't afford.
1: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the second series of Asset Arrest, a podcast about different forms of financialised housing and their impact upon communities, the meaning of community and urban space. Each episode so far has centred around a viewing of a different residential property that I, Laura Yule, attend with a different invited guest each time. So far, I've been looking at the high ends of residential property in London and Berlin, the type that's largely being marketed towards a global audience looking to invest, as well as private student housing blocks in Newcastle, which similarly attract an international renter market looking for convenience and ease of temporary relocation. Season 2 takes a slight deviation from this format at times and begins with a tour of three cities in the Pearl River Delta region, Guangzhou, Shenzhen and Hong Kong. On this journey, I speak to various artists, architects, entrepreneurs and researchers in each of these cities about how practices of redevelopment and regeneration are impacting upon urban space and experience and the way people live. This episode features a meeting with architect Hu Janyu, who works for the Hong Kong office of KPF, Cone Prederson Fox, an international architecture firm headquartered in New York. Internationally, their projects include 30 Hudson's Yard in New York, Abu Dhabi International Airport, the Shanghai World Financial Centre, the Heron Tower in London, and the Landmark in Hong Kong. Normally, I invite my guests to attend a viewing of a residential property with me, and we pose as potential buyers. Because of the difficulty of arranging this in China, as a foreigner who is not permanently based there and doesn't speak the language, I somewhat failed in this mission, much as I had expected to. There are stringent regulations around foreigners purchasing residential property in China so it's not the free-for-all I'm used to in London and elsewhere where foreigners are deliberately targeted as potential and desirable buyers. My plan was to test how this process of viewing property might work in a country whose government is worlds apart from that of the UK and makes the possibility of foreigners buying property in the country very difficult. My gateway into what was accessible to me as a foreigner was, as usual, what I could find on the internet. The internet this time for myself obviously being very different to the internet within China. The pathway I found myself on was one of the wealthy expat relocating to Guangzhou due to a working contract for a probably major international corporation. Having sent a few emails, inquiring about rentable apartments I could find online, I was quickly welcomed by one estate agent and relocation company who were keen to show me around various options for expats. It turned out that each and every one of the offerings was a serviced apartment, either within the context of a large luxury hotel that offers short stays as well, or within a gated compound catering towards families. I was asked no questions about my budget, nor anything else prior to being collected from my hotel for an entire day of apartment viewings. So after this experience, which I'll go into in more detail in a future episode of Asset Arrest, and my failure to find anything else available for me to purchase rather than rent, I decided that rather than viewing a residential property, I would ask Hu Janyu to pick an area of the city that would be interesting to meet in and have as a context for our discussion. Guangzhou, the capital of the Guangdong province and the largest city of the Pearl River Delta, is an urban agglomeration whose population doubled from about 6 million to around 12 million people between the late 1980s and 2010. It's estimated that around 80% of the built stock in the city is less than 30 years old and by and large results from the conversion of farmland to urban area. We settled on meeting in the Zhuzhang Newtown area of Guangzhou's Tianhe district. Jianyu led me on a walk around the area, pointing out an urban village, Xiansun, that has mostly been demolished over the past years, but still has a few buildings and people remaining. It's the last remaining urban village in the city centre area. The worn and haphazard buildings that remain stand in stark contrast with the glittering skyscrapers, new and incredibly clean pavements and roads, and gleaming shopping malls that populate the rest of the New Newtown area. New Newtown was planned as the city's new central business district, and now comes complete with three-storey highways, luxury retail and a crowd of international expat personalities. Xi'an Village has stood in its place for about 800 years, the settlement being forced to blend into the urban landscape after China's economic reform started in the 1980s. Xi'an Village's greatest asset and curse is that it sits on prime real estate in the newly constructed CBD. Urban villages in China are villages that appear on both the outskirts and in the downtown segments of major cities. Their existence stems from a system of thousands of village collectives across the country that eventually became too close to expanding cities that were quickly buying up all of the surrounding land. In the Pearl River Delta region, three decades of rapid urbanization have resulted in the widespread presence of urbanizing villages. Urban villages are irregular territories shaped by state-led planning's failure to integrate rural villages and people into urban development. In these uncontrolled areas, public space is eroded by the progressive construction of unauthorised buildings for rental purposes. Urbanising villages are regarded as an undesirable form of urban development, despite the fact that they contribute to the supply of affordable housing for migrant workers. Cities across the world have gone through similar narratives, of course, but none on quite the same scale as China, where redevelopment is a synonym for the largest purposeful demolition the world has ever seen in such a short space of time. They were and are commonly inhabited by the poor and transient, such as rural migrant workers, poor college students and blue-collar professionals, and they afford economic opportunity to newcomers in the city. Urban villages are not regulated by any form of centralised urban planning, so they stand in stark contrast to the bulk of the recently built and expanded cities. They tend to be heavily populated with a high building density, so in this way the urban village is perhaps the Chinese manifestation of urban informality. Dwellings in the urban village tend to be self-built in close proximity to one another and there tend to be open public spaces that allow for ad hoc use as in most major cities, the Guangzhou government increasingly views its urban villages as a sign of weakness and is keen to replace them with gleaming modern structures. Apart from being thought of as chaotic and messy landscapes, another perennial problem is a collective ownership system which does not conform to modern urban standards. Land requisition by the state, especially in southern China, is typically limited to arable land, leaving the collective status of village housing sites untouched. The continuation of collective ownership deprives villagers of their rights to trade their properties in the open market. This defective ownership is considered to be a major cause of social and economic inequalities in urbanizing villages, thus reinforcing and perpetuating their status as temporary marginalized outsiders in cities. In recent years, many city governments have attempted to transform and annihilate these ungovernable spaces through redevelopment. This means that many long time, Urban village residents, who account for less than a tenth of all current residents in many villages, have traded in their old homes that they often built by themselves for new flats in high-rise buildings, along with cash compensation, which has turned many of them wealthy overnight. Compensation is typically based on a rate per square metre, and the new flats are typically several times larger than their old homes. Despite this, some do choose to try and cling on, remaining in their homes in the village for as long as possible with the development and building work unfolding around them. Problems come from migrant workers who are not recognised as official residents of the village and therefore do not get any compensation or conversation about what's happening. These shorter-term residents make up a large proportion of an urban village's population. After walking around the area, Jian Yu and I managed to find a quiet point to sit and talk on the rooftop terrace of the IGC, International Grand City Mall. To set the scene, let's hear a bit
0: more about this shopping mall. The International Grand City is a landmark one-stop international fashion shopping center, which forms one part of a large-scale urban complex. The project came into being through the collaboration of three powerful developers, Hong Kong's Sunong Kai properties, RNF properties, and Guangzhou's KWG property. Apart from the shopping area, the entire project also includes a great twin-tower office block's top plaza the Superstar Hotel, the Conrad Hotel, a subsidiary of the Hilton Group, as well as Riviera Luxury Service Apartments and the Metropolitan Art Park. It fuses reaction, shopping, international commerce, urban travel, cultural, art, and high-end residential complexes into one complex, so that the urban elite can have the wonderful experience of effortlessly switching between their workplace and relaxing lifestyles. The inspiration for the renowned American architectural design company Callison and the Hong Kong architectural design company AGC. For the diamond-shaped international grand city to be like a riverbank diamond, that from above it would appear to be a huge glittering diamond. The surface area of the shopping center in the commercial building comprises 100,000 square meters. There are a total of seven floors. The top floor has been designed as the only restaurant, Front and scenic open-air terrace garden with a view of the riverine scenery in the whole of Guinsu. The international grand city is the most outstanding shopping and recreational destination for those seeking a high quality of life. The shopping center's distinct glass skylight lets customers feel the magical beauty of sunlight and moonlight willists inside the building. And the top-floor open-air terrace garden has the air of a green oasis within a hectare metropolis. Now
1: to my conversation with Jian Yu that took place in this green oasis on the rooftop of this luxury mall overlooking New Newtown.
2: So my name is uh, Ken My Chinese name is Wu Jianyu And I work in architecture for almost a decade I'm here from Guangzhou um, I'm currently working in Hong Kong uh, Mostly on the office building And mixed use shopping mall projects
1: And most of these are for Chinese cities,
2: right? Um, uh, mostly, yes And
1: Hong Kong as well? Or uh,
2: Taiwan, Eastern Asia You
1: said that the firm designed the building That's the tallest in Guangzhou the Tallest office building The tallest office oh, the building, Eastern building sorry, tower. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: how do you feel about this building? I like it better than the Western Tower, which is a rounded shape office building. In terms of the typology, I'm not a huge fan of office buildings because it's like a man-made, artificial, almost sculptural kind of building, mm. which is not like very relevant to a human scale. Yeah, it
1: just kind of sits there. I mean, it's yeah. like a... It's an
2: icon. That means it, ha- it doesn't have to blend into the context. It doesn't reflect the city's uh, cultural or historical background. So it's an alien.
1: Why, why are office buildings why do they
2: usually want to be
1: like that do you think?
2: Um, I think that's the nature of the capital yeah. you want to be recognizable you want to have a great branding you want to be able to accumulate a lot of capital in there I mean a tall building like that must have concentrated a lot of companies and a lot of people inside I think that's what the capital is trying to do uh, trying to maximize the efficiency of how the industries the businesses work but that's not quite relevant to the normal human beings living in the city it's almost like a machine you're a component of that machine inside of that building. That building is like a huge machine. It represents uh, capital and efficiency, but not real citizens.
1: I mean, there's a lot of writing about the idea of you know, this pen for glass facade buildings and yeah. how this is maybe representative of this pretense of transparency and openness yeah. that's obviously <laughs> just a lie. Yeah, you don't get to
2: access to 39th floor from here, right? You don't a- actually get to see what's inside. No, you can
1: None of these buildings look like you could actually see in them, right? They just,
2: ref- they, they reflect the sky, so they... Looks like they are not.
1: They become of the sky, but like this surreal fragment of the sky or something.
2: Yeah. I mean, actually in this business we designed it that way so that it gets reflective it like does help with the thermal performance so you don't get so much heat in there in the meantime it also helps with the privacy of the people inside so you actually can see from the inside uh, what's happening on this outside world the people in this city look up upon this thing it's just gonna be a solid mass there you don't actually see how the business is getting run on the inside
1: and yeah we spoke a bit about the maintenance of these types of buildings Mm -hmm. which is um obviously like a huge commitment that has to be made (laughs) when these are built because and, and the cost of that i mean i don't have a clue how much that costs but
2: like for an office building i'm not sure about the price but for a residential building like 18 floor high or 18 to 30 something uh to that range the cost of running the bmu gondola once is going to be a couple thousand RMB once you like <laughs> you have to do it like twice a year normally and every once of maintenance will take weeks to complete because the gondola is going to be like a bay of the buildings width and you have to clean all these bays so like one day uh, you can clean perhaps one bay in one day and then you have oh, to you have clean to, like, the entire building yeah then it, take, it takes like a week or two
1: and we just had a walk around this area and uh-huh. you were pointing out one of the, well, the remnants of one of the, the last urban, or the last urban village in this area. Uh, in or, this area, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah, I'm wondering your experience of like how much Guangzhou has changed over the past 10, 20 years, and what your feeling is about how that's affecting long-term residents who maybe don't have so much money.
2: Well, um, speaking of the extent of changes, I'd say 90% of the city has changed, especially in Tianhe district which is, uh, I'd say, most developed uh, district in the city. And not like Only 10% of what I remember is still here in this city. Uh, I mean, in this tr- district. The effect on us, I'd say, um, would be the loss of connection to the past, to our memory. Yeah. So like every environment that we put ourselves in, in the city right now, doesn't tell us about what the city was like in the past, mm. what our childhood was like in the past. It's the same as what's in Shenzhen. It's just different buildings of different shapes but the way that the city operates, the way that the people interact are not so different from that in the other southern cities. It's lost its identity and we as the residents in the city lost our identity because we don't remember what it was like in the past. Oh, yeah. We kind of get used to the way that everybody operates or lives uh, in this modern world, but we don't have the brand of the Cantonese in ourselves anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not that different. Yeah, from- yeah. The
1: yeah, I mean, I just find it, for me, it's so bizarre to see huge parts of the city where everything is the same age, or like, you know, everything is...
2: Planned the same way, uh, tallest buildings in the CBD, perhaps an axis in the centre of a city, a, a uh, boulevard or a an avenue, running across the major part of the city, it's like everywhere is the same, it's planned the same way. Like, it's not even the same as the Western world. In the West, you get to experience post-modernism, which is anti-modernism, but they in China, it's all the way modern modernism. Uh, everything has to be planned top-down. It has to be like in a grid. Uh, you have to have order. You have to have discipline in everything. Like uh, you have this belief that you're going towards a more advanced uh, civilization. You don't have this multiple beliefs in the possibility of what a city can be. Everything is going the same way, going towards the one single purpose, development. Which I mean, really bad.
1: as an outsider, for yeah. me, it is, um, I think it's very uh, successful at making me feel like I've basically arrived in the future whenever I come to China, <laughs> and kind of like I mean, even just the fact that the metro system is so new and clean and yeah. you know well maintained. I don't know if it's just because it's new. Maybe it's just because it's new, ish yeah. compared to mm-hmm. metro systems in other countries, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just this kind of this relentless speed at which things get built and changed and implemented. Um, The use of technology, as I was saying, with um, you can withdraw money with your face, or it's it's not that common to use cash, maybe unless you're of Mm -hmm. an older generation. Mm -hmm. Um, Things that we were kind of told were going to happen, I I feel like in the UK or something, and it it never really happens. (laughs) Like you know, like every little change seems to take a Mm -hmm. decade to to happen, whereas here it's like things just happen. Mm -hmm. You know, a decision is made Mm -hmm. and then it's put into action.
2: Well yeah i'd say that's efficiency um to a certain extent it's it's successful financially and politically in 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 the sense of efficiency Because it's a centralized power system, you don't have to ask everybody's opinion when you're uh, up to doing something. Just do it. That's why it's quick. But this speed, I think, is problematic. It's just like our own body system. We are growing growing into a more civilized world where we have to do things in a more civilized way. But our body hasn't evolved uh, into that fashion. We are still a hunter body where we need to run, catch uh, animals. If you sit here for like too long uh, in an office, your body is going to deteriorate. It's not doing uh, good to your health. Similar to the city, I mean the people is getting used to the technology. uh, We're the more advanced uh environment of the city but the mentality the notion of civilization hasn't evolved to that extent and when you have that enormous amount of power in your hand and you haven't grown used to how you're gonna be using these powers it's gonna be problematic like what we're doing in this world we are destroying the nature without knowing that we are doing such an extent of harm to the nature Uh, we have that power but we are not realizing what that power can do to the outside world similar in the city when you have that power and you are not careful you can wield it and Hurt other people, and in this city, um, I think the level of happiness is actually descending in the city. Because when you get to see that in the city, when you get, get in a metro, in a subway train, um, people are rushing inside. You can see that a lot of people can't afford this kind of uh, like transport, but they don't know how to uh, be disciplined to so respect each other. They're, no
1: one waits. Um, yeah, they rush. People get out. The train. Yeah. I was waiting, and then I was like, "Oh well, I'm, now I can't fit in the train because everyone's just pushed ahead." Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> (laughs) So even though you have a more advanced way of traveling, you're not used to the etiquette behavior you need to implement to
1: make it work or whatever. Mm -hmm. So
2: the experience of you in an environment like this is not necessarily better than when you were biking to work. So if we look at the numbers, yeah, things are a lot better. Things have changed a lot. But when you look at the level of happiness, this city has not gone too far from 20 years ago.
1: Is there like, it's like a mental health crisis recognized as a thing that is is present, yeah. Mm -hmm. The the apartment I'm staying in has a notice saying don't commit suicide, (laughs) which (laughs) this is a really sinister thought, but um, it just made me think, wow, there's so many high residential blocks, like it's building these kind of like suicide machines or something for
2: people. You get nervous when you stay in an environment like this. It's like, walls closing in on you. You only get to see this little bit of sky from a hole among like between these buildings yeah i mean developments have to match pays with the civilization. But it's also,
1: you know, like all this development causes these problems and mental health problems, Mm -hmm. the alienation and loneliness that all this creates. But then they just try and sell you some solution that, you know, like the idea of co-living or co-working as a like a skewed idea of Mm. community. You know, like capitalism then comes up with a solution and sells it back to us even though it was like a very basic idea of just living in a community with your neighbours and talking to them. Now you have to pay a high price to live somewhere where you're whole living because you share like a room that has free beer and a pool table or something. I, I mean, it's just, it makes me really concerned for like younger people growing up with all this. Social media and technology and stuff already present, and, and the fact that this hotel lifestyle or cheesy co living idea is actually appealing to people because they, they, I, I think a lot of people genuinely see that as a way to have connection and find some like happiness in life. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I just, it just seems absurd given that we used to just like live in buildings and talk to their neighbors. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, I'd say we are sensational uh, animals. Mm. So um, face-to-face uh, interactions are very important for us. I mean, there's a reason, there's a sense in that kind of artificial environment created to let you deliberately uh, expose yourself to people around you. I mean, that reflects a lack of human exposure of mm. our generation. like we. We are all the time facing the monitors the screens it's like that's something essential to us and when you're missing that in your normal way of life you have to pay a high price to get that back like in the future if this kind of natural environments are all ruined we have to pay a high price to go to a museum to get to see these natural trees, it's the same kind of thing. I think we're not respecting what we are. That's some sort of a sensational animal. That kind of nature is what's inherent for us. And we cannot shy away from that. We cannot like package ourselves as uh, civilized human beings, high level animals that get to do without our uh, natural instincts. No matter how advanced the society is, we can never get yeah, away from that As status. much as
1: we think we don't need to like live around people that we have some relationship with or whatever, mm-hmm. We just go mad and depressed.
2: Yeah, I think capitalism and the modern cities are chasing for something that's not really that important to us as societal animals. Uh, We're chasing for something else in the price of sacrificing our elemental needs
1: how do you think we can create spaces for this community or interaction within like this really dense and abundant like high-rise living i mean looking at these apartment blocks right there i just wonder i'm sure they have some courtyard or something downstairs but there's hundreds of people living in there and i'm sure they're they're not all kind of meeting and spending time in in the courtyard so that they can get to know their neighbors also i guess i just imagine this life of you know everyone's like ordering food now through their apps and it gets delivered to the house so you You don't don't have to go to the the restaurant (laughs) or go to the shop yeah it's just a kind of we've gone for this like hyper convenience to the point of not having to actually interact with anyone Mm.
2: There is a prophecy from uh, Ren Kuhas. I don't remember the name of his book, but he was foreseeing a future like this. Like, you don't actually have to physically be connected to each other. You're gonna be in a cyber city where everything is just one click away. Every interaction, every delivery, every job is gonna be carried out through a monitor, through a a PC, a a working station in your place. You don't actually need to physically interact with people.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's happening.
2: Yeah, it's happening. And these ideals of creating social parks for people to interact, that's a good imagination, uh, an ideal of modernism, which doesn't really work. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not a believer in the, I don't believe that design or deliberately created artificial space can foster urban living. I think what we can do as urban designers or architects is to allow for space for these activities, these daily life to grow. Like if it's a natural place for people to gather, you think of something to foster that activity, create something around it, not to just invent a place for people to gather where it is actually a place no one is willing to go. Like this rooftop, it's a very good rooftop. You get all these seats, all these benches, but nobody knows such a place. Nobody is willing to come to a place like this. I mean, people living on these terraces, they can see this roof, which is a lot better than their own terrace, but they don't come out because that's not, not natural. That's not how they live. Once you've destroyed their original way of living in the horizontal community, There's no way you can compensate. They are adapting to the new life and they don't go back to the artificial, fake, horizontal interaction anymore.
1: Yeah, because that was a way of living that was learned over years and years and years. Yeah, it was natural. It's not
2: snatched away then. It's not designed. It's how they desired, how they wanted themselves to live. Yeah, it's like organic
1: behaviors that form within a space over time. Yes. Well. I imagine China must be working towards this smart city idea. I mean, I imagine China will be the first place that manages to do this to such an extent.
2: Yeah, I agree. Like China is advancing more quickly than the other countries in this world because you have to care less about how the citizens think of this idea. You can just carry out the idea as long as you want to. Not sure it's a good thing. I mean, smart city to me is like a machine. Everything is run in a smart way. Everything is maximized in terms of efficiency. But is that for a financial human being where you are just a unit of this economy? Or is that for a human uh, with flesh? I mean, you design a smart city. Everyone runs in a faster pace. But does that make people happier in the city? Maybe people won't have time to think about whether they're happy or not yeah, so they'll just be true that's the problem just of this be going yeah we still care about numbers so much we still care about the percentage of growth each year so yeah. much that we do not yet have time to but catch how up can
1: that go on with a climate change sure. situation
2: yeah i think that government is trying to make changes in the past 10 years but since your political system is not designed that way it's not so successful in this respect like the leaders of this country so they have vision to carry out something that facilitates the happiness of the people living in this country but the local uh, governors on their way towards a better political path they'd kind of utilize or leverage these kind of notions to an extent that facilitates their own political advancement like uh, like planning a city you kind of put these fake ideas in in the planning saying that we're gonna grow a green city but uh, in fact they still care about the growth of the city they are not willing to let go of the idea of growth in the uh, statistics so they're just trying to frame it another way a more kind of friendly Way to the citizens but the essentials are but no just one actually the same. cares no one cares no yeah they plan a lot of these greenways for people to ride their bikes along mm-hmm. but there are plans so carelessly that you don't actually feel like using them at all like uh, you can see they these feel
1: dangerous or they're just inconvenient
2: it's just not the idea how these green paths should be planned if you want people to ride without getting distracted you shouldn't be uh, mixing the pedestrians with uh, these bikers okay, you have yeah, to yes. have some sort of uh, separation and you want people to not get bored while they're riding. You have to create some visual interest along the way, not just a pavement all the way. Yeah. <laughs> and putting a logo of a bike there. That's not how you do things. If you do it, you have to do it right. But nobody seems to care about doing things right. They just care about doing what was asked to do in their own way.
1: And in compared to Shen- somewhere like Shenzhen, obviously, Shenzhen is entirely new, mm-hmm. right? It was a yeah. fishing village. 20 years old. Do you like Shenzhen as a city?
2: Well, um, I kind of like it and dislike it. I like it for the sense that it's convenient. Things work more orderly there. People are generally more polite. They have better social etiquette than here in Guangzhou. So you feel more comfortable being exposed to an urban environment. But what I dislike it about is similar to what I dislike Guangzhou for. It's the same everywhere. When you're in Nanshan, it's not so different uh, from when you're in Futian. The places to go to, the things to do, pretty much the same everywhere. Uh, you don't have a history to explored you don't have these surprises around the corner revealing the past of the city revealing the way of the uh, aboriginal people living here there's no depth in the city it is what you see but there's nothing more which
1: kind of eradicates like imagination or something yes. doesn't it
2: true yeah which stories it's lacking yeah. stories
1: which is quite a scary thought really because it's probably not something that would even occur to most people as a negative thing and then that entirely changes the nature of society I mean of people True.
2: where you come from uh, what your identity is what your ancestors over the thousands of years have accumulated what kind of wisdom that they have left you you can no longer touch or see or be exposed to
1: Maybe in hundreds of years, I guess there will be history unless every building is kind of continually renewed at the same time and we never get out of this kind of allowing things to degrade and get old and if the future becomes like perpetually new and of the same, the same moment.
2: I don't think, I mean, it's not even philosophically healthy. Like if you don't see a thing gets old, you don't know how time pass. You don't take responsibility for where you can't invest
1: in a location in the same way care about community or a location in the same yeah, way I think yeah. if you're not aware of the process of decay and aging and yeah. change
2: you don't have these prototypes I mean prototypes can be bad but you don't have these prototypes and then you don't have these attachments to this place this place is the same as everywhere else and then it might as well just get destroyed. you don't care you can yeah, just go yeah. somewhere else which is exactly the same why would you care about whether this place is being in good condition or not you don't have a sense of belonging to a place Anymore.
1: Yeah, just go to a new service department. (laughs) (laughs) Make a mess and then move on again. Yeah. This introduction to Guangzhou left me thinking about the pros and cons of the urban villages being destroyed. The fact that many people end up satisfied with their large cash payout or newly spacious and comfortable apartments, but those many, many people, perhaps the majority, who fall between the lines of the law do end up much worse off. And despite these potential improvements in comfort and space for many, they are still having not only their homes and communities erased, but their entire way of life altered. The ways in which they earn money, meet with others, eat with others, gather outside and space. Whilst urban villages are not seen by the government as being beneficial to the economy, they have housed vibrant communities through their informal arrangements, spontaneous adjustments and accommodation of differences between locals and outsiders. How to integrate millions of villagers and migrant workers into local urban communities remains a core challenge in China's urban transformation and the implications these vast demolitions and developments will have for the very meaning of community within Chinese cities is yet to be seen. If all traces of informality and everyday urbanism are squeezed out of a city, what happens to its residents and spaces? For now, fragments of Xian Village in Shujang, New Town, remain like the ghostly shell of a community, with only the occasional glimmer of life as one of the few remaining residents appear and disappear. Next week, I travel to a nearby, smaller city in Guangdong province, Foshan, to look at an example there of the trend for co-living that is spreading across the world. For a list of references and articles relating to this episode, please head to the Asset Arrest SoundCloud page or visit assetarrest.com. Please sign up, subscribe and share with anyone you think might enjoy. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Asset
2: arrest, making contact, gaining access, asking questions, wasting time.